Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. My guest today is Ross Davies, the director of Strafe Creative, who focuses on conversion-led design. We're going to be talking about why companies should be putting more time and energy into ensuring that their hero products sell really well. Even companies with a couple of hundred products will probably find that the majority of their revenue comes from a tiny number of products. It's the 80-20 rule. So how do you ensure these products sell really well? Let's get Ross on to find out how. Hi, Ross. Thanks for joining me today. Do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? How have you got to where you are today? I'm Ross Davis. I'm the MD of a company called Strafe Creative, and we're a digital design agency. And our big thing, as we like to refer to it, is, is client success through great design, with the idea being that it's not just about the overall build, but it's about the initial research, planning, and obviously design to like visually answer people's concerns or objections to make sure that the website that we create them is really high converting. So that's probably a little bit about kind of how we approach it. From a point of view of where did we come from and how did I get there? Like we've been running this 12 years now. Started off as two of us, there's 19 of us now. And I guess we didn't really know what conversion rate optimization was to start with. We just were doing this kind of testing and measuring. And I don't know if you found this, but all of a sudden like this, this like term appeared and I was like, oh, we We've been doing that. I just didn't know it was. I didn't know it was called that. So yeah, that's how probably five, six years ago we realised that conversion rate optimization is what we were doing, and we've improved and created our own kind of processes and aspects from there. Really, yeah, uh, definitely same. Same for me. I think I was doing testing. I was trying to work on ways to improve websites, but didn't obviously at the start of my career didn't really know that conversion rate optimization was a thing. Yeah, um, what were you calling it? Probably just A/B testing. Yeah, I was just saying. Look, we, we just need to we need to run some tests on the website and see what can be done better. Yeah, it was only a few, couple of years later that I found out about CRO and, and got got stuck into that world. Okay. So, uh, what do you think are the biggest kind of opportunities or the biggest contributors to growth for a D 2 C business at the moment? I'm gonna I'm gonna do that age old one. I'm sure everyone is saying at the moment, but like COVID, COVID's got to play part of this. And this ties in, I think, in a few things. And again, this is easy to say because we've been a digital agency, so everyone's, we've got work. But COVID has got to have a, a part of this, right? Like we're stuck at home. We've definitely got more time on our hands. We're not necessarily spending as much. So I think we're also naturally, as people, we run off phones more, tablets more, laptops more. And I just naturally think that's leading to more impulse buying. Yes, we're not necessarily going out to retail as much, but I do actually think, especially in my household and most people I know and in most of our clients, that actually, since COVID's kind of happened, there's more online spending than ever before. I also think there's a huge like increased rise in not just social media, but I guess really super targeted marketing. Like the fact that we can get this kind of level of detail now on I want to level to, you know, I want to advertise to just this sort of person who likes these sort of things. And you can be super targeted if you've ever found this, but you might look at someone else's social media compared to yours and the black and white, they don't look anything alike because they're so tailored now to your likes and what you want to do. I think yeah, that's a huge difference. On my side, but you'd you wouldn't have a clue who I was if you looked at my my social feed and looked at the really? ads that I get. Well, because I spend so much of my time looking at random websites. Oh yeah, of course. So suddenly the algorithms will be thinking, oh, you're really into this product, so this is going to appear in your ads all the time. And then a few yeah. days later, it's a completely different product. And then every now and again, I'm not entirely sure why Facebook thinks that I'm super rich. Right, okay. and, and shows me yachts, yacht buying services, or like super high value apartments in London. I'm like, nice. okay, great. I'm obviously doing something right here, but 
Yeah, not, not you're, putting your, like, you're putting like your goal list together, like what you eventually want to have. So you've pulled in this like boat and then all of a sudden it's like, I'm just going to advertise you for the next month. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's the thing. And I don't know if you've ever had this, but I've definitely got in trouble before with my wife. Not necessarily trouble, but I think she's thought based on like retargeting, she's thought that I'm looking at booking some fancy holiday. And it's, oh, are we, we going to book this? We're going to do that. And I'm like, oh no, like we've got a new like travel agent like company that we're working with <laughs> yeah i was just looking at the competitors so you get that kind of like oh it's not quite what it is but anyway so we to kind of get, get us back back on and actually this ties in quite nicely with the kind of the social media but i don't know if you found this as well with these adverts that you're seeing but a huge rise in what i would call like single product e-commerce websites so yes, you've got your websites like Amazon and Curry's that, you know, that sell loads of these different things, but we're doing more and more of them. And I'm seeing more and more of them where you might go to a website and literally the only thing they sell is a toothbrush, but the way they're advertising this toothbrush is it's the greatest toothbrush you've ever seen. And it talks about all of the amazing things it does. And they somehow fill five or six individual pages about why this toothbrush is amazing and the process it is to make it and how it's going to make your life special. And I just feel like that's a huge area that's really growing. And it's one of those things that if you compare it to something like Amazon, where they have to create a generic product page that can be used for everyone. So it's only ever really going to convert, even Amazon, it's only convert at a certain percentage. Whereas if you are having these single product sites, you can have them so tailored to that product, you can make them incredibly high converting. And then lastly, I do think that kind of idea of, Again, it'd be interesting to see what you think on this, but like the ease of testing and measuring and like actually getting a site up online and just seeing if it works before you throw money into it to get someone like you or me involved, that seems to be growing as well. And there seems to be some tools that, that people can use now to trial some of that. Yeah, it's obviously with the likes of Shopify, for example, mm. it's so easy to get your website live, get some copy and imagery up, and then you don't even have to drive traffic to it, really. You could just show it to some people. Yeah. and get some initial feedback and and then run a few ads to it. And for that initial stage, just be super heavy focused on live chat customer service so that if people don't get it, you're still capturing them a bit and at least asking those questions, getting that feedback. Yeah, 100%. I think um, that's a hugely undervalued area, isn't it, live chat? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was talking to someone earlier about this the other day. I really would want to see more people move to more like instant messaging rather than live chat. Because on, on live chat, you have to sit on the website. You have, and yep. If you're on your phone, it's a pain because it's really difficult to tab out. And if you change tabs in mobile, it's very easy to get lost in yep. all the hundreds of tabs that you've got open. But at least with something like WhatsApp, you, know, you can just have that conversation over a period of time and yep. just get the questions answered when you want. But keeping on topic. So yeah, I, I get what you're talking about. You've got a lot of generic product pages around e-commerce. If you sell one thing, you should sell it really well and focus the design on that. But I don't think it's necessarily just those single product websites. There are just niche businesses that have maybe a hero product or two yeah. and some supporting products. But there's so much opportunity to say, we could do something amazing with these product pages because we've got five products or 10 products. Yeah, um, And we, we can manage those individually. We're not dealing with 100 200 different pages so how do you deal with that sort of conversation because a lot of the conversations i have or when i'm trying to make drastic changes to a product yeah. page because i've got a, an idea for it a lot of the pushback i get is pretty much that's not how everyone else essentially that's not best practice 
how do you get around objections like that? When you put a radical, I don't know what your process is, but maybe a radical wireframe or something in front of someone. Yeah. How do you get around those objections of, you know, that doesn't look like an e-commerce product page. What what are you trying to do here? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think there's going to be a lot of this is held back by or backed up by kind of data rights. So there's places like the Baymard Institute that obviously have loads of information on e-commerce that we can pull in and reference about why we've designed the way that we have. We use some uh, certain pieces of software, Attention Insight, that allows us to do, it gives us indications of like clarity of the page and how easy something is to absorb. And it gives us some indication of like key mappings, which is relatively useful as well. But a, but a lot of it will just be a case that in our case studies that we've done with other sites, I can show like, yeah, I know this is a little bit different, but look how well this one converted beforehand. And, and a lot of this also comes down to this initial research that we start with. So we do something that, again, you know, the standard kind of term that we use internally is objection handling. So trying to do that initial research to find out exactly what is stopping someone from buying something. And normally once we've taken, I'm more than happy to talk through that process if you want me to, but um, more of a case of once we've done all that research and we can show the end client to say, these are the concerns that they're having and we want to answer these in a visual manner, it's normally the case of the client going, okay, yeah, I get it. Like I get it now because that's going to help answer these potential objections. Whereas I find if we don't have some of that research up front and we just want to propose an idea, understandably, it's that kind of classic saying, no one gets fired for buying IBM. Oh, we'll just go back to the we'll go back to the standard, right? Oh, we'll just do the standard thing and then we'll we know we'll get a standard conversion rate. So as long as we yep. can back up our theory with ideas and research, then and normally we just have to give a little bit of a push, right? And we just have to say that we're the experts, we know what we're doing and you've got to listen to us really. Not always the case. Yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah, that, that, is, that combined with that research, that data mm. uh, should work, right? It should be a, you've hired us or you're wanting to hire us because we're the experts. If, if we're putting some research and some research backed insights and a, and a back design in front of you, you need to feel confident that we know what we're doing because we've done it before. Yeah. And I guess you can, as you've already referenced with like split testing, at the end of the day, if they've got the budget to do it and they've got the budget for us to design a few variations of this and split the traffic between them to see which one works better, you know, that's obviously even better because they might yeah. say, I like this idea, but I only want to send 10% of our traffic to it for now because I'm a little bit concerned about it. If they've got the budget for us to do that, then, then happy days. That's obviously the hope that everyone's... But yeah, that would be the ideal situation, wasn't it? If they've got an established uh, website ready, but just struggling a bit, then yeah, A-B a- a- test two different versions of the website. I-, I think a lot of people say you shouldn't make multiple changes to a page, mm. which is correct when you're making a couple of subtle changes. Yeah. Well, not subtle changes, but just a couple of changes but effectively having the same page there. But if you're talking about like a, almost like a rebrand and a, and a complete redesign and restructure the page, you can't do that bit by bit. No, 100%. It would take you, I agree. take you months or years probably. So yeah, you do a, a radical redesign, put a little bit of traffic to it. If it performs, then you start to do that. It's testing on the new design. Yeah. That's essentially the, the process that we take because we're doing all this initial research. We're, we're running something called a Bayesian approach to conversion. So we're taking this research, we're creating like a hypothesis around what we think will make the big difference. And then we're designing to that. And essentially the test is, 
does that work? Can we put that live? Does that make a huge difference? It's the same sort of, that's how you get around that sweeping change that once you've done that research, you can figure out, okay, what's the thing that we're trying to improve and redesign that entire area or redesign the entire page around that. Um, it's not always needed, obviously, if someone, if the site's converting fairly well, but sometimes they're not, right? They will take on projects where it's just awful and we need some decent, some decent, like huge shifts for us to, to get that moving. Yeah, and I don't want to go into this too much because it, it probably is a whole separate conversation. Convert whether it's converting well or poor, well or or not sometimes isn't necessarily down to the page. You know, it yeah. could be the traffic. It could just be some of the copy, which obviously you you can then test. But yeah, it's just not always. For some reason, there seems to be this gap between what's going on in advertising and what's going on on the website. So the people running acquisition will run the ads. And they will basically optimize for, they're kind of optimizing for conversion rate, but really they're optimizing for click through and just the number of people they can get through to the page to yeah. convert. Because if they get 10% more people to click on the ad, um, then you know hopefully 10% more people will convert. Yeah. So then there's the assumption that if the website's not converting, it's the website's fault. And, yeah. uh, and obviously it, it can work both ways as well you, you can have incredible advertising and a, and a poor website and you can have an incredible website and poor advertising um, yeah i was going to say i know we've had it we've had to like work on that in the past where you know we've we've taken on a project and there's a company that the before us had actually done a very good job of optimizing the site for search engines so seo and they're ranking really highly for a particular key term but the site's not converting, so it's viewed as a, a website problem. But then you view the page that's ranking, and it's literally just two, three thousand words of just pure text with loads and loads of keywords in there with no break. And you're like, that's yes, they have done their job right, like they've got it ranking, but yeah, at the cost of the fact that no one's going to read that information, <laughs> I'll land on that page and I go, I'm not going to read that amount of words, I'll leave. Unless it's, yeah. And you know, it's not broke up, there's nothing in there. So it's the same sort of idea, right? They're like, you can do all this marketing to drive huge click-through, but if when they land on the site, it's not, they don't match up, you end up with a really low converting kind of site. So yeah, it's definitely the two that need to work together. And we don't do ads either, so we very much just focus on page. So making sure we have some partners that we can trust that we're going to be able to work together with is like, it's critical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a, a kind of a research process. Mm. Uh, so when redesigning sites, do you want to go, go into that a bit, a little bit more? If you are yeah, doing this redesign and saying we're going to give you, we're not just going to test the website, we're going to give you a new version of that page. Yeah, how do you go about ensuring you you think you've got the best possible new design of a page to start with? Yeah, of course. So it might be easier for us to always put this in an example. So I don't know whether we take a, I don't know, a random product or something. But um, you mentioned that earlier. Toothbrush. Let's take a toothbrush. First places to start are we would break this down. We have some like a process where we run through. But the first place we always start is looking at product reviews. And what's really great about product reviews is, especially on websites like Witch and some of the bigger like ones, at the top of every review, they normally have like a list of pros and a list of cons. <laughs> Yeah, and and what one of the things was we write down every positive and every negative, then we read through all the text and we start to pick out some of the key things that either they're all talking about in a really positive way, they're talking about in a really negative way, and if you start to run through just loads and loads of different reviews, it doesn't need to just be a review of your product. It doesn't need to be a review of just your toothbrush. 
you could look at electric ones, you could look at the bamboo ones, you could look at those new plastic ones, you could look at the traditional ones, you could look at the kids' ones, um, you could look at all your competitors, and then basically just start to make huge lists of the really great things that people say about them, and then all the things that people don't like about them as well. So that's like the first yeah, place to start. I think if, if you get loads of people saying, if you see loads of reviews where they say, oh, the the bristles start falling out really early, like just after yeah. a, a, a little bit of use, then that's something you can target in your messaging, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's all we're looking for. We're just looking for lots of things. And obviously what we have to be careful of is that we might read some of this, like we might read a load of cons and go, mm, our, our product has that same issue, but at least we're aware of it, right? So like we can work around that. Once we start so, to put this... Oh, de- so de- depending on what the con is, you either completely ignore it and don't address it at all, or you can see how you can turn that into your advantage. Yeah, that's our approach. Um, I would always be really open and just be like, let's try turn that in a way where we can talk about the reason why we don't do it or, or something along those lines so people are aware. Yeah, the obvious example is around price. I suppose yeah. that's a generic example I can give for any product. It, just admitting it on that page and saying, look, we know we're not the cheapest, but we are the best, pointing yeah. at reviews. Yeah. Yeah, these are the reasons why we're this price because we make it in this way and you get these additional things and it comes in a lovely t- toothbrush case and it comes with a, I don't know, some toothpaste that's <laughs> yeah. made from real diamonds. But there's always ways you can do it. But if we don't know those pros and cons, that's a huge problem. Looking through competitors' sites is another really easy one to start with. And again, it's almost like we always start with the pros and the cons and we get all that down because then when we start looking through individual competitors' sites, we can start to figure out the things that they're almost purposely doing. So, for example, if they explain something in a particular way where you go, oh, I've not thought of doing it that way, write that one down for later. Or you might think, oh, actually, they've done that particular section quite poorly, so I think there's a better way of doing that. So what we want to do is we want to create the best site or best digital marketing, whatever we're doing, for that space. So we want to make sure that we look at all the competitors. And I would also make sure that we're looking at competitors of all different sizes. So, and different regions and different countries and trying to get an understanding because different kind of environments might do it in a different way that we can learn from. Another good one, kind of taking this, like, I know we're running with a toothbrush here, but... The, the best example of that, I think. No, possibly not. We should get sponsored by a toothbrush brand and we'll just insert the name in. That's what we'll do. But something like forums or social kind of, social kind of pages are always really useful. So, I don't know, I doubt there's a website dedicated to dentists that are all talking about this in particular you might have something like mum's net talking about the kids toothbrush you could go on there and start to have a look at what people are saying and it's not necessarily about posing questions because we don't really want to pose leading questions but it's just really useful for us to have some of that so forums is definitely one of my favorite places it's hugely underutilized and, and especially for certain demographics are incredibly popular and yeah then- i remember uh, sorry, when I had my sports fantasy sports startup uh, a few years back, we did some. We were just looking out for reviews, mentions, anything like that, and actually came across some comments on forums saying that we had the best UI of, oh, of cool. any of the sites they played on, yeah. which was like fantastic for a business that was about a year old, yeah, and and still trying to get going. So to have people say they love the the layouts and and the way they can do everything, yeah, that was that was fantastic. Yeah, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? It's something that you can then start pushing in your marketing. Or it's, oh, maybe we'll show more of the back end so people can see the system before they sign up. And there's always ways around it. And then the last one, and then obviously this is slightly dependent. We've spoken about the fact of trying to over-deliver through live chat if you've got brand new and just try and help in any way you can. 
But the likelihood is the person on that end of live chat, or if you do have a sales line, they're probably getting asked the same questions over and over. <laughs> so write those down. Let's interview the sales team. Let's interview the owners. Let's interview anyone that we can to try to get an understanding of what the same things that they always hear over and over that we can then try visually answer through the site. So I'm um, literally doing that right now with a client. I've interviewed, I've done a few customer interviews and I've just interviewed their head salesperson uh, and one of the founders. And I've got another one coming up uh, in a couple of days, but it's literally for, for the, the staff, it's, yeah, what questions do you see coming up? But also we, we were actually looking into what sort of information or what questions does someone ask if they are basically a time waster? Yeah. And and it's going to be obvious that they're not really interested in making a purchase. So yeah, you've got to be aware of that with live chat and things. And if if people are, if the same questions keep coming up, it doesn't necessarily mean that's an issue that you need to yeah. be addressing because mm-hmm. you need to know whether those people actually went on to purchase or whether they were just chatting because they came across this brand new toothbrush they'd never heard of and uh, weren't that interesting. We're sticking with the toothbrush now, aren't we? It's good. But no, I think that's good. the really key kind of stages that we would take them through. If it's all right, I was going to run through an example of one that we've, um, yeah, that we've done. Yeah, absolutely. I'm inspired by your like your beautiful beard uh, and my pathetic, Thank but we work with a company who, am I okay to name them or would you rather I don't? Or As as long as you're okay to name them? That's, yeah, that's yeah, cool with that. So a company called Void Hom and they make a beard pencil essentially. So for people like me with my pathetic beard, you can basically draw slightly on to fill your beard in and then you can basically brush it into your beard and it looks more full in the patchy areas. Right, but this okay. goes back to one of those kind of prime examples of what we were discussing at the start, which is they started as like a single product site and then they've grown and they now have a couple of different options that they offer on there that all tie in quite nicely. But because it was a single product site, we were able to basically design a really detailed product page all around answering the concerns of those users. So for example, when we were doing research, People were concerned that if I go in the if I go in the gym and sweat, is it going to come off? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm on a night out, is it going to come off and smudge? Or what about I've got a short beard, I've got a medium length beard, I've got a long beard, does it work with all those? Or different skin colours, people were concerned around that. Some people were concerned around, you know, putting something on their skin and wanted to know if they might get a rash. So they wanted to know what was in it. Some people wanted to have an understanding of how easy it was to apply. So we had like videos recorded and we also showed the process and we put time estimate in seconds next to it. So you could see that in theory, you can top your beard up in less than a minute. Okay. Yeah. And it's all of these little individual things that we started to visually answer and we tripled the conversion rate when the new site went live, like literally And from that to the new. Did you address all these different things on the same page? Yeah. Or yeah, okay. So even so, obviously a lot of people talk about landing pages and and creating specific pages for specific audiences. Mm. So if they're advertising, they might advertise to people with beards who go to the gym a lot. Yeah, and those people might might then be really good to focus on that. If you sweat, does it run? Because yeah. that'd be that'd be horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want that, would you? Whereas someone who doesn't exercise at all might not care about that piece of information. But I suppose I'm just thinking in relation to one client I've got where. I suppose the different audiences and the messages we put in front of them might might not just be ignored, they might concern 
someone because yeah. they might think well if this is this is too generic if it I think it's people. I think it's a really valid point right like the more specific we can be with the targeting of the marketing that land on the page the better we can get that conversion so with those examples that I've uh, I've mentioned that that it's not a case of just saying oh it's okay in the gym it's okay in that we've tried to make them cover for those different spaces but to be honest definitely a thing that we could do more with them is if we split out those pages and send them very targeted then then 100% the more we can do that the higher the conversion rate will be but no it's not something we've done with them currently with the the sweating message you've also got rain right it's basically the same issue if yeah. you if you get caught in the rain is it going to make your beard run off which yeah yeah. And even like we did another one that we did was and a lot of companies do the assessment when the side direct to consumer is people shy away from talking about their competitors mm-hmm. or not necessarily competitors, but an alternative solution. So one of the things we did with that is we basically did that head on. So we were like, okay, you can use a beard pencil and these are all the benefits of the beard pencil. But we also reference things like beard dye. We reference on the website about hair fibers and other options. And we had a comparison to show the differences and actually, sometimes hair dye might be better because obviously you need to do it once, it might last a month, whereas the, the beard pencil you have to do every day. So there are swings and roundabouts, but going back to one of the things that we were discussing before, I think it's actually, that can be, the fact that you have to do it daily can be a plus if we sell it in the right way, because you might not always want to have it on, you might want to be more detailed with it on certain times, or if you're growing your beard out, it might be, it might look different day to day. So we can sell that in a set way, whereas... Um, Almost gives you that flexibility. Exactly. With, the beard, like whereas, with all these yeah. different things, but we're, we're now talking about beard pencils. We, we're, we're covering all things today, aren't we? It's good. Yeah. I remember seeing, I saw a post on LinkedIn, a company doing that comparison. And they did it in a really clever way because they they picked out some of the key things that people do compare. So I think it was like a some sort of cereal or something. So they said our cereal, X number of grams of protein, yeah, which was noticeably <laughs> higher than a few other products. And then there were just a couple of other points, which basically they made sure that this comparison table was very heavily in favor of their own product mm. because they picked what they were comparing. Yeah. So they picked one or two key pieces, knowing that on another key piece they lost, they didn't mention it, but they were happy for other brands to have a tick in the same box as them, mm. as long as, or same kind of row as them, as long as they only had maybe two ticks in total yeah. out of five or six boxes. Yeah. So there's a way of you know doing that comparison and just making it look really favorable um, to you. Yeah. I think that's part of it, right? At the end of the day, there's a little bit of salesmanship that's going to be done on all of these things. So, um, but I think I've actually seen the same advert for that cereal. So yeah, and I've seen it a few times. Oh, protein cereal. That sounds exciting. But they purposely don't mention how much sugar's in it or something like that, yeah. do they? But, um, well, I've, uh, I obviously don't want to go off topic too much, but again, cereal. <laughs> I, I've I've seen a few cereals where these new cereals that they're not marketed as protein cereals, right? They're not marketed for people going to the gym or whatever. There's no kind of main message around protein. However, then like these little sections like comparison table or just here and there, mm. they'll focus on on how much protein's in them. Yeah, it's more and like it's a, meal replacement, isn't it, rather? But I just find it a little weird that this, it doesn't come across as a... They don't really talk about why it's a protein-heavy cereal and why that's important and stuff, but they just mention how much protein's in it. And yeah. if you don't... If you're not thinking about that too much, you're a bit like, why do I need a protein-heavy cereal? What's the benefit to me? Yeah, I think a lot of them can do a little bit more with that than just... 
there's definitely a thing in the market at the moment where I think, especially like, you know, supplements and that sort of gym area that even just going back a few years now, if you go back even longer, 10 years ago, that anything that was sold for like developing your body and making you stronger always had a man who was absolutely ripped, like Ronnie Coleman, like stood yeah. there flexing. And it was all, it was always like super OTT and it was all about oh, it was they always had outrageous names and it was all this kind of like big very male dominated oh do, yeah yeah do you think that's Pro changing now protein powders in the past used to be everything was max strength and yeah. pro pro power muscle and very kind of harsh designs as well like very like blacks reds like quite yeah. in your face and it was like and it's called dynamite or python yeah. or something crazy and, and now the one that stands out to me most i think it's probably i think it's bulk i think mm. it's bulk that came up with a very almost like minimalistic design yeah it is, which bulk. is pretty much just yeah, yeah. it's their logo it's very recognizable logo but their, their packaging is very clean which is so different to what you used to see even like maxi muscle and those ones which weren't quite that extreme yeah. were still quite a, a little bit in your face and, and a little bit all about muscle. You know? Yeah, so <laughs> I do think there's that kind of change in, you know, people just want to naturally look after themselves a little bit more and just eat the right things, but they don't necessarily want to look absolutely huge and ripped. And then I guess those kind of, that style has to change. So I do wonder if like, you've also ended up with these cereals sat in that halfway house that they're they're in theory designed for someone who's trying to look after themselves and do that, but they're kind of advertising themselves a bit like a lifestyle cereal. Is that a thing? A lifestyle cereal? Who knows? There'll be people who buy them because they're they're different and they're, I don't know, just better for you. What's the, mm. what's the general? There must be a term for that. So you've got sustainable products in terms of the environment, but if, when you've just got a healthier cereal, yeah. I don't know. Have you got any other examples? Just going back, there's one one page products or maybe not that you've worked on, but just other examples of pages that people can yeah, maybe go Yeah, I was going to say another, another one, like another one of our, our clients actually, so they sell hot tubs, okay. so lots of different styles of hot tubs. So again, not, it's not handheld anymore, like the, like the pencils, but, yeah. um, but we, again, they were very keen on, you know, the usual credibility builders and other items that we needed to look into. And this is, this was pre COVID, right? So this is before everyone realized that we're all stuck at home. We may as well have a hot tub. So demographics have slightly changed in the past past few years but before that they generally found that their most profitable or likely customer was nearing the age of retirement was going to be spending more time at home had a little bit of disposable money lived in very kind of certain areas and it was a slightly older demographic at the end of the day and one of the things that we actually found on some of the forums that we were looking at in social areas was one of the normal key things when you're buying a hot tub is that you get to turn up and try them out or what they would call like a wet test and, and what that we were basically finding was that an older demographic didn't necessarily feel comfortable turning up and having a much younger person of the opposite sex see them in a you know swim shorts or in a, in a swimming costume. And rather than go through the awkward, British people were very awkward, aren't we? Um, yep. Go through the awkwardness, we'll just avoid it. So we just won't do it. People were trying to either not bind them or just bind them straight online from a cheaper dealer because they just didn't have to go through the whole process of trying them out and dealing with that awkwardness of it all. Yep. And it also led to other things. So it's like, do I just turn up and do I have to have my swimsuit on ready? Is there somewhere for me to get changed? Do I get a robe? What if I'm trying multiple ones? Like most sites don't answer any of that information. Yep. We And obviously one of the visual things that we had to figure out is 
you know, we can't just put on a website, select a man or a woman. <laughs> like you can't do that. So we had to come up with a way to visually allow them to pick who they wanted to see as a member of staff, but make it seem like it was more of a choice based on the staff's likes, dislikes, what they did as a person, the type of things that they... Yeah, so uh, like almost when you're booking a, a physio or a PT yeah. or someone like that, you're literally picking them based on their expertise. Yeah. And not necessarily, or not obviously, just your preference on on who yeah. you'd like to train with. Yeah, yeah. It's that sort of idea. So we had to get that across. And then, like I say, the other thing we then had to start referencing is when we got to the booking stage and do you want to book a wet test, rather than just referencing that and saying, hey, book in now, here's your time, we sold the experience. Turn up, you get your own little private kind of changing rooms. Inside the changing rooms are robes, there's slippers, there's a little bottle of Prosecco that you get to come along, you get to enjoy. You get a two-hour period where you're going to try six different ones out. You can either select the ones you want based on what you think, or you can tell us the reasons why you're thinking of getting a hot tub and we'll suggest them. We just did a lot more salesmanship that answered loads of those potential concerns. And, yeah. and it's stuff like that just made a huge difference. So it goes back to this research stage. Now, for them, obviously, they're selling loads and loads of different types of hot tubs and some of them are swim spas and they've got accessories. So there's only far, only so much we can push the individual product pages, but instead we very much pushed and really personalized that wet test page instead to get that information out of them. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Like you said, it's, it's selling the experience, mm. isn't it? That's exactly what people want. And, and especially that you tell us what you want from a hot tub and we'll then work with you on the day to, to find you the right ones. Um, yeah. for you because at the end of the day that's what people want yeah. they don't want they don't want a hot tub they want somewhere outside that they can relax in on summer evenings yeah uh, yeah i don't know there's ha- they're probably and have, a, and have a drink and have people around and have a place to social and give yeah, a reason uh, for people to come to your house and it's yeah a bit of a, a statement piece as well isn't it mm. And say, I'll come around, we've got a hot tub. But yeah, I'm, I'm working on that on a couple of clients as well. That kind of experience, what do people want to get from this product? Yeah. And how do we help them find the right product for that rather than letting them just browse the website and them hope that they're picking the right one? Yeah. It's yeah, like you conversational can, commerce almost, isn't it? Yeah. Because you can still put categories on a website. If you're looking at, if you've got... Uh, I don't know. I don't know hot tub categories. Yeah, we. I know far too much. I think I could probably sell hot tubs now. <laughs> you've got mini ones. You've got swim spas. You've got ones that are good for like muscle relaxing, and ones which are more like entertainment ones. Yeah. So, what's the what's the category called? Sorry, say again. Swim swim spa. That's like swim the spa. bigger ones. Yeah. With like jets that you can like swim on place, and it's like an infinity pool. Oh, okay. So yeah, that would be it then. So instead of just having a category for swim spas, you then break it down into uh, what are all these different swim spas useful for rather than just having the swim spa, the swim spa pro, the swim spa muscle relaxer. Yeah. And and then people going, well, do I specifically need the muscle relaxer one? Is that kind of an add-on feature to the swim spa? Or is it actually quite a different thing that is only really useful for, you know, you know would I actually not enjoy it because I haven't got uh, that need for it? Yeah, no, 100%. I think that's the key thing, just asking them in a conversational manner rather than just asking them to apply a filter is very different. And I think that's something that 
you know, I guess we've, we've also just embraced very recently, which seems to help a lot. Cool. And uh, you've mentioned a lot about looking at reviews and, and forums and things. Do you do surveys and customer interviews as well for that? Yeah, so I think if, if we can get a hold of them and they're happy to, I guess, either send our questions to them or or us, us do that, then that's always super useful. And if we, they have a couple of key people that they don't mind us interviewing, that's going to be really beneficial. One of the other things that I quite like to do is you can use things like Hotjar just to ask a quick question. So if they don't yeah. perform the thing that we want, we always ask the same question, which is what stopped you buying? To What stopped you getting in contact? Obviously, I guess, slightly depending on what you're offering. But, yeah, it depends um, on the, the website. But we always ask that same one and, and it's super useful, the amount of content that you, you can get from that and you can just pull things from. So that's a really classic one that we would always recommend and the cost of 15, 20 quid, whatever it is for Hotjar to be on for a month or two, just for you to get that data is super, super beneficial. Um, and the amount of things that come out of it that you would never even considered, like the stuff that we've read on there and you go, oh, oh, yeah. I didn't, didn't even read, like it's completely not on our radar. So yeah, something like that is, is always useful if we can do that as well, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely makes sense. I think it's yeah, I love using kind of hot jar, either exit intent or just a, on mobile, it's a little bit more difficult. So it's normally like a timed um, yeah. pop-up. I tend on mobile, I tend not to use the what's stopping you buying today because mm. it's that timed version. I tend to go with something like what's one piece of information that's missing from this page? Or mm. or what other information would you like to see on this page? Just something yeah, like so that, really- which just gives a, a bit of a different feedback as well. Because also sometimes with an exit intent or, or that, why didn't you buy today message? It might be because people are researching. They might yeah. not have come to buy today. Whereas yeah, that, yeah. what piece of information, if they're on the returns page, right? They might be looking to return a product, not buy a product. And if yeah. they can't find what they're looking for, then they can tell you. And that sometimes has a, an impact on conversion, right? If you then... Mm. I'm going to uh, steal re- that, Will. It's a good one. I'm going to steal it yeah. and pass it off as my own. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's been really useful. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So j- just before we finish up, um, is there anyone in the D2C space that you'd want to go for lunch with? Yes. And randomly, it's a food company, but Gusto. I'd love, yeah. love Gusto. We started Gusto just before lockdown happened. Okay. I just really like the idea of it and all the food being provided and there's no food waste and we get variety in our food. And I just feel like they've done a really good job of that brand and the overall buying experience through the app and how it's all delivered and it's on time and just even the customer service. So when they send something that's like wrong, just the overall experience with them, I've never, ever had any anything. But even if something's gone wrong, I've only ever had praise for how they've handled it. And I'd love to, I guess, pick their brains about how that's come about and how it's it's quite different to some of the other food kind of company options that you can have. Yeah. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably go for lunch with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be a great one. I, I'm, I, I don't buy with them me. anymore, um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of them. Yeah. See if we can do a joint one. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. I'd like that. Brilliant. And uh, just finally, are there any any tools that you recommend to other marketers? Anything you use on a on a daily or, or even monthly basis that you you think are really valuable? Yes. So sure. one that we use a lot of is Attention Insight. And this is like a pre-testing tool or for websites who have such low traffic that they're not going to be able to build up some decent heat maps. Companies like Attention Insights have algorithms that are based on like eye tracking that you can put your designs or your current website through. 
and they have like a 90% accuracy to give you an indication of like clarity. You can highlight areas of, so you can put like a box around a call to action and it will tell you how much attention it gets. It will give you indications of like how likely someone is to be clicked. And obviously it's quite, it's not absolutely perfect, but we generally find that when we pretest something and we tweak it to make sure it's got a decent result, we then put that live. It always works really well. That That's a really good one. Let's check um, that out. Does it, do you tell it what the website's about or does it say to you in its report, the tool thinks your website is about this product? It's, it's got like a drop down option of, so for example, you could tell it if it's a home page for a certain type of site, you can tell it if it's a product page for an e-commerce, like there's a couple of different categories it will fall under. And you can also do, which is quite nice, is you can screen record your mobile or your desktop and you can like cycle down the page and click around it and then you could submit that video and it also gives you an indication of as the user's scrolling what is drawing attention it also links in with figma and sketch so from a design perspective you can put your design straight into it and it gives you an indication straight from the design tool oh that's nice. really useful uh, i've definitely have to check this one out and then another one which is that uh, we've only just started using actually but one called uxtweak.com uh, okay and it's a way of getting real world testers to like trial your website out but at like a fee that doesn't give you a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actual profe- like people who know what they're talking about. I'm not sure. I feel like they have just, I think you can sign up to be a test is kind of how it is. And then you, for example, as a company, I can say, okay, I only want people, I don't know, in their forties who are female who do X and Y, and then it will look at the community of people that have already joined as testers and allow us to do that. It's relatively new, but it seems pretty good. Okay. I'll have to check it out. I've used a different one and a question a lot of feedback you get it's mm. quite useful for if something doesn't do what they've expected it to do yeah and then they you, you get that shock but otherwise you get a lot of because they know they're being recorded and told to go through the page they yeah, are true. spotting much more than a, a normal user who might skim and then they'll pick out on certain things and go oh so i see they've got a hundred day returns policy that's fantastic that's something that would really interest me which is great to know but i've got no idea whether the Based on that, I don't know whether the average person visiting the website even notices that there. Yeah, but I it's, think that's, yeah, I think that's really valid. It's new to us, but it's definitely the results we've had so far seem really good. I would I'd definitely try it. Right for the cost, it's yeah. really really cost effective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that probably all of them, mate. Really. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, I'll definitely get those in the show notes because they they sound like two really good tools. But uh, yeah, thanks for this. It's been really, really useful, really insightful. If anyone wants to find out more, what's the best way of getting it? So I'm probably most active on Twitter, which is just Ross underscore Davis, and Davis is D-A-V-I-E-S. And then the website is strafecreative.co.uk and strafe is spelled, you, you can tell I have to spell this out because people get it wrong. Sierra, Tango, Romeo, Alpha, Foxtrot, Echo. So strafecreative.co.uk. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Ross. Great. Thank you, obviously, so much for having me, Will. It's been a really, really enjoyed it. So as Ross mentioned, there are huge benefits to really working hard to design product pages that are bespoke for those products. If you've got a handful of products, it's really easy. But even if you've got quite a large store, you can pick out your hero products and really work hard to optimize them individually. You put different messaging in front of different segments of customers, different ad creative, different channels, but then all your product pages are in the exact same template. It doesn't make sense, does it? When it comes to the inevitable objections, though, as with any business case, really, you should be backing yourself with research and data, whether that's primary or secondary research. If you can come armed with the data and the research that supports your point of view, it'd be silly not to at least give it a try and run the test. 
If you'd like to hear more from Ross, you can find him on Twitter or LinkedIn uh, or head over to the Strafe Digital website. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, please send them over to will at customersuclick.com. Next up, I've got Stephanie Bregman joining me from Manly Bands, a D2C brand working to ensure that every man out there gets their own unique wedding ring. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Oh, 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 o